in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come gathered together to lift up your name, to call on your Savior, to fall on your grace. Sing that again in the name, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit. Lift up your name, to call on our Savior, to fall on your grace. Hear the joyful sound of our offering, as your saints bow down, as your people sing. We will rise with you, lifted on your wings, and the world will see
Shannon. What an anthem. Some of you might have been thinking, how many more times are we going to sing that? But let me remind you, the anthem of heaven is repetition. And don't you wonder that that's our God who's sort of, kind of, can we just say, like kind of a God of monotony in a way. The sun rises every morning. He's been faithful to his people through all generations. All generations from the beginning of time have been able to call on his name and find hope. Man, we need hope, don't we? And the hope is found in him because the tomb is still empty. Amen. We can still call on his name and find hope in our Savior, Jesus Christ. He took away our sins and made us right with God. He gives us hope here and in the future. We have the hope of heaven. Let's continue worshiping his name. You were the word at the beginning. One with God, the Lord most high. Your hidden glory in creation is now.
haven't had many opportunities in my time here to be with you all together as we worship. And it's a beautiful thing to watch and be a part of. You see someone today, you've already had a chance to greet each other, I recognize that, but if you know, don't see someone you don't know, introduce yourself. We are a part of a family, a faith family. And God has done something in each one of us. Maybe you're not, maybe where you should be, and you know that, God knows that, but you're here today. Maybe you're here because you were coerced, you had to come. Well, you're here, and we're glad that you're here. Maybe you couldn't wait to come and just express your praise and worship to the one who does reign within us. But this is a good place to be this morning, and I am glad you're here. Thank you for choosing to worship our Heavenly Father together. We go to prayer. Let's continue. Uh, prayer is an act of worship. It's a conversation. It's a chance for us to pour out our hearts, but also to hear from him. Put ourselves in the right posture, the right position as we approach our, our heavenly fathers. We receive his grace. We celebrate his mercies and acknowledge how good he is. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for this reminder today, Lord, that we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. This reminder, God, this morning that we do not go through life alone. That you, Lord, and your goodness have seen fit, Lord, to give us a family, a faith family, Lord, to walk through the valleys that we face with us, to celebrate, Father, those, those victories with us, to laugh with us, to cry with us, Lord, to, to, to just go through the day to day together. We're not alone. We become, Lord, the hands and feet, your hands and feet. We become the very expressions, the manifest expressions of God, of Jesus Christ on earth, as we love one another. Those that we're close to and know well, those that we have not yet learned their names and are just now getting to know, God, we get to be you to one another. That's what it means when we sing that you reign in us. That's what it means when we sing about your wonderful name. We get to carry that on. We are the partakers of your name. We, we are the sharers of Jesus with one another. We, we pray about, Lord, asking you to come. For, asking you, Lord, for your spirit to be poured out upon us yet again. We are the poured out spirit among other people. We are the hands and feet of Jesus who need a little bit of help. We need a touch of grace. God, I pray today as we look around this place, as we look across the aisle or behind or in front, and we see different faces, help each one of us to know that we're part of something that you have brought together. Lord, that is good. Lord, we thank you. At, at times, Lord, we come with, with the, the heavy burdens we carry. And Lord, prayer allows us that opportunity. But Lord, prayer also affords us the opportunity to praise you, to thank you, to acknowledge who you are. And Lord, to help us see you differently, to see our situations differently, to realize that our giants... When the place next to our God aren't so big after all. So, Father, we bring our baggage to you. Things that weigh us down. Those anxious thoughts, those lonely thoughts, those, those grieving thoughts, those real parts of life. We just bring them to you. We don't know what you're going to do with them. We don't know how, Lord, you're going to remove them from us. We don't know what you're going to help us, Lord, and in the midst of them to do uh, on the other side of them. But we're just going to trust you today. And God, I pray that your presence would be made known, that your voice would be heard. And God, we would know today that we've come into your house to worship you. You are the audience. Receive the good and the bad and the ugly, Lord, that we all bring. Do what only you can do with it. Turn it into something praiseworthy, something that points others back to you, something, God, that reminds us 
of the good and gracious God that we serve. Lord, we love you this morning. I thank you for the chance to worship you with my faith family. Continue, Lord, to be with us as we open your word. Show us something new. Take us deeper, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. It's good to be together. We do enjoy these times, but you can also, from my perspective, you can see very quickly that as, as we continue to reach others and to grow as a church, why this arrangement wouldn't last very long, and that's a good thing. Uh, although, but once in a while, it's good to be together just to see faces and to worship as a faith family. And we thought certain holiday weekends afford us that opportunity, and we're just glad you're here this morning. Um, I was reminded that as I was listening to your boxes jingles, you brought your alabaster offerings. It was the summer of 1994, and I was at the San Martin Iglesia de Nazareno in El Salvador. And it was a very small church, and during our work there in the afternoon, I moseyed, uh, traveled like behind the church, and I saw what was, looked like a lean-to against the side of a church. And that lean-to had three sides, and, and that was about an eight-foot-by-eight-foot space. And then next to it was a covering. And what I came to find out is that is where the pastor and his family and four children lived. They lived, they had one bedroom, if you want to call it that, an eight-by-eight-foot area. Uh, it was a dirt floor, uh, what we would call a kitchen. They might, we would call a campsite. They called a kitchen. It had a metal tin roof covering over top of it. And when the weather got bad, they would sleep inside the church. And what I discovered there soon after is right across the street or, or the dirt road was a, a cinder block building that was under construction. It was being built with your nickels and your dimes and your quarters that you just gave for our alabaster offering. Churches all across the world, in Church of the Nazarene, in February and September, bring their spare change. And with that change, it's used to build parsonages, to build churches, to build hospitals, uh, to continue mission work, to buy land and property for the expansion of, of, of the Church of the Nazarene around the world. So you may look at that and not think that it's much, but it's when combined with others around the world, it's able to do great things. And I got to see a, an alabaster parsonage under construction. So those gifts matter. And I want you to know that, that we're, we're part of something bigger than even what God's doing here. And this is just one expression of that. And we're thankful for the heritage that we are a part of in the Church of the Nazarene. It would be easy to wonder why they don't do it themselves or, or why can't they do better. And they're doing the best they can. And it's amazing how far a few quarters and dimes and nickels can go when God is in it. We've been talking about baggage. It's not a comfortable situation or a conversation, but it's one that we need to address because we all have it and we all carry it. We've been talking about baggage through the lens of the story of Jacob in the Old Testament. He is a character that we read about. He was a son of Isaac. He was a twin. He had a brother named Esau. We've talked about Esau the last couple of weeks and how different they were. And we've learned very quickly that Jacob wasn't the noblest of characters early in his life. There was still much he had to learn, uh, and he was, finds himself in the midst of this journey, not necessarily one that he chose, but indirectly he did, and he's forced to leave his family, and Jacob still has a lot of bags that he's carrying, or he's going to be carrying, he hasn't quite figured out yet. But today we're going to talk about baggage that Jacob carries that's defined not by what he's carrying, but rather by what is missing, by what he's not yet carrying. He's such a complex character, but yet in his story, we often will see much of our own lives, much of ourselves. If we're honest, if we're willing to, if we're willing to have that conversation, allow God to speak into us, just as he does in Jacob's life, we'll find that his baggage can teach us a lesson or two along the way. 
Jacob finds himself dealing with this inner emptiness. Uh, there's a hole inside of him. He's been longing for his father's approval his entire life. He finally gets it, and it's not really his approval to be given. He receives the blessing, and it was meant for the firstborn. Primogenitures, this, this law of primogeniture, where the, where the oldest would kind of be, be the head of the family. That, that, that will come up today in, in what we're going to talk about in Genesis chapter 29. But Jacob, seeking the approval of his father, takes advantage of his brother, bargains for his birthright, deceives his father, steals the blessing. No wonder he's carrying so much stuff. We learn that Jacob is a man living up to, or rather down to, his name. His name means heel grabber, deceiver. Dresses up as something that he is not to gain something that's not rightfully his. He now finds himself on the run. His life is in danger, alone. He's all alone, and he has nothing. And Jacob, in his desperation, falls asleep with his head on a rock, and God shows up and introduces himself to Jacob in the most incredibly and memorable and profound way, giving Jacob a dream of this ziggurat, of this staircase ascending from heaven. And what we learn through Jesus and his in confrontation with Philip and Nathaniel in the New Testament is that Jesus becomes the staircase, uh, the, the, the very thing for which God ascends to us to lift us up out of the depths of our lostness, of the miry clay which we get stuck in, of the consequences of our choices. God comes to us. Jesus is the means to heaven, to salvation. Jesus is the means to God himself. Jacob is so moved by this encounter that he names this place, calling it the gate of heaven. He calls it Bethel, which literally translates as the house of God. This is where God is. Yet even though Jacob has finally met God, God came and introduced himself to Jacob. God extended to Jacob the, the covenant that he would promised to Abraham and to Isaac. And Jacob agrees to this covenant. There's still this hole in his life that remains. There's still something within him, that, that this void that he can't quite yet define. See, his journey, his search is literally just beginning. Physically, tangibly, and spiritually. He still has much to learn. He has much growing still to do. The same is true for us. Each one of us. See, simply knowing God will not fill the void that exists in our lives without him. Jacob knew all about God, but he had not yet chosen to dance with God. So we must also journey to discover the hole within us, and that void that we feel, that, that God-shaped void that can only be filled when we choose to enter into a relationship with him. Just because we meet God doesn't mean that all of our baggage or habits or struggles or disappointments just go away. We know that through life experience. Growth is still required. Transformation takes time and intentionality. It takes a journey. Jacob's journey, he's traveling from Beersheba, where Isaac's camp is, to Haran, where his mother is from. It's just under 500 miles. And he's on foot. And he's alone. That's a long walk. He begins his journey all along the way. And as he gets to the end, we see in Genesis chapter 29, verses 2 and 3, there he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob finally arrives in Haran. 
He comes to the well, and he gets to this place. He's so tired, he, he kind of like, wonders where he's at. Can you just see the sign, welcome to Haran? Didn't really say that. I'm not sure how he knew where he was. But he gets to the well, and he asks them, uh, do you know Laban? Anybody here know Laban? And those sitting around the well, they say in verse 5 and 6, yes, we know him. Jacob asks, is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Look, he said, his son is still high. It's not yet time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. Jacob knew a little bit about shepherding. But he says, we can't. Until all the flocks are gathered and stones have been rolled away from the mouth of the well, then we will water the sheep. Read in verse 9. While this conversation was happening, while he was still talking to them, Rachel came with his father's sheep, and Jacob laid eyes for the first time on Rachel, and this is what he heard. After 500 dusty miles, he lays his eyes on Rachel. Yeah, he is like, whoo, insert glow behind this shepherdess as she walks into Jacob's life. Jacob meets Rachel at the well. It is love at first sight. When Jacob saw Rachel read in verse 10, the daughter of his uncle Laban and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well. Remember, Scripture just told us that it was a large stone covering the well. Jacob goes over. This, this mama's boy, this guy who laid to hang around the tents, he was not the king of the wild frontier like Esau was. He's kind of a wimp. But he, he, there's something in him that just wells up. And he's like, well, I'm going to move that stone off the mouth of that well. He runs over to that well. And he's like, can you see? Oh, I'm flexing, Rachel. Can you see me, Rachel? And he lifts up that stone. And he rolls it off the well. And Rachel hears this. Yeah. Can you just see it? Oh, things are happening now. Welcome to Haran, Jacob thinks. He moves that stone, channeling his inner Esau, one of the most least manly men we find in all of Scripture, He's using his muscles, his muscles, to impress a woman. It's kind of like me using a pocket calculator to impress my wife. <laughs> oh, there was a day, right, honey? <laughs> well, you get the picture. This, this, the irony in this moment, it is kind of comical. It's something we laugh at. But at the same time, he's happy to have finally reached his destination. But boy, talk about a welcoming committee. Rachel is beautiful. He's in love, technically with his cousin, but he's in love. <laughs> oh, it's a whole other sermon. <laughs> he's so overwhelmed. Get this. I mean, this, this, this is an incredible story. In verse 11, he's so overwhelmed. In verse 11, says, he kissed Rachel. Oh, boy, he, just, he moves quick, doesn't he? And begins weeping aloud. <laughs> Seriously, Jacob? <laughs> I mean, sure, some women like a sensitive man, but come on, you just met her. <laughs> but he's so overwhelmed, not just with Rachel. With all that life has or, or is lacking in his present, he's just traveled 500 miles by himself. He's anxious. He's scared. And the first thing he sees is family. Now, Rachel, she does a wise thing when a stranger kisses you and begins crying at your feet. 
She turns and runs and gets her dad. (laughs) And Laban is overjoyed to meet his sister's son. This is quite an emotional encounter. This was on a day when you had Facebooks or texting or, or, or even mail. Laban's sister had been living with Isaac for a long time, 500 miles away. So here comes family. Of course, Laban invites Jacob to stay with his family. And after about a month, we read in verse 15, Laban says to Jacob, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? This is what every future employee loves to hear. Tell me what your wages should be. How much should I pay you? (laughs) What a wonderful question, right? Jacob sees his chance. I know just what to ask for. He says in verse 17, uh, well, I'd like, or sorry, he says in verse 16, I'd like to ask for your daughter's hand in marriage. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Um, hmm. Jacob's in love. He's willing to do whatever he needs to do. And we read in Scripture that Rachel had a lovely figure, lovely in form, and was beautiful. And Jacob was in love with Rachel. He says, I will work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Notice what he says. I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. That implies to us that there are more than one daughter. There's actually two. And Rachel's not the oldest. But we also see, and I think it's important that the Scripture, scripture points us out, that Rachel's form is referring to her form. Scripture tells us her face is one of beauty. In other words, Rachel's a 10. Jacob's, and eh, eh, not a 10. Now, a little bit of context. Um, in this time, in this day and age, brides were purchased, just, just to be honest. They were, they were paid for. They, there was like a dowry that you kind of had to give to a father in order to have permission to marry his daughter. There was expectations. Now, this typical expectation would be a typical farmhand, which is what they were in this moment. They were shepherds. They were working the, working the land. You, you paid, they were paid about two shekels a month. So you get paid about 24 shekels a year. So you would offer for a bride 20, to, I mean, anywhere from 30 to 40 shekels. So about a year and a half to two years wages if you wanted to purchase a bride. Jacob is so in love. He's so smitten with Rachel that he offers not two years. He offers seven. I'm going to give you 168 shekels worth of labor, Laban, if you will let me marry your daughter. Four times the going rate. Rachel must be amazing. Laban, he's no fool. He agrees to Jacob's offer. Why wouldn't he? Jacob served his uncle for seven years. Scripture tells us he was so in love with Rachel, it seemed like only a few days. I don't know. I've been in love a long time. I'm not so sure how that math works. (laughs) She would agree. Don't don't look at me. She'd, She'd think the same thing. (laughs) Love is a funny thing, isn't it? I'll find out this afternoon. (laughs) We're on a roll today. (laughs) His time of service ends. And Jacob goes to collect his wages. (laughs) He says to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to make love to her. Now, this verse, <laughs> this verse has been a problem for Jewish commentators for a long time. Because when you literally translate it, it's a vulgar, crude, out-of-character 
verse. It doesn't fit. It's out of the ordinary, especially when it comes to typical Pentateuch writing. Pentateuch is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It, it, it's so coarse and vulgar, it just doesn't seem to be right. But when you understand Jacob, you begin to realize how right it is. What Jacob is saying to Laban, my time's up. I want my wife. I want to have sex with her. That's what every father wants to hear, right, dads? <laughs> Jeez. His longing for Rachel is so extreme. This is, his desire reaches the point of obsession. He's obsessed. He's consumed. But let's not miss what's really happening. See, it's natural to want to have sex with your spouse. But the verbiage, it reveals something deeper. It reveals a longing, almost desperate expression of something in Jacob that's still lacking. And this is how Jacob's chosen to deal with the rejection of his father, to deal with the failure in his life, to deal with the fact that he's 500 miles away from home. This hole in Jacob's life, that any inner emptiness that, that maybe you are expressing and feeling today, like many in our culture, maybe we, we try to fill it, maybe some of us fill it with a man or a woman, a husband or a wife, trying to fill that void with a significant other, trying to make things better. You try to force a person into that God-shaped hole when it just doesn't work. Jacob believes that if he can get the most beautiful girl in the area to be with him, to be his, that this would fix everything wrong in his life. Maybe it's popularity or acceptance or position or favor in your life. Everyone will look at me. They'll, they'll pat me on the back. They'll see me as successful. I'll be valued. He or she would complete me. They would make me whole. That's what he's feeling. That's what he's expressing. His obsession shows how deeply flawed Jacob is as a person. How deeply he's hurting and how much he's been wounded. How much he longs to simply be loved and embraced and valued for who he is. Our culture today is fixated on finding love without commitment. Believing that this will fix what is wrong in our lives. While there's meaning in relationship, don't get me wrong, we were created not to be alone. God said in, in the garden, it's not good for man to be alone. We can look at the number of dating websites or apps that are out there. The services available show us that many are still willing to pay 168 shekels to find their Rachel. Or they're Jacob. You can go to eHarmony, you can go to Match.com, you can go to Christian Mingle, you can go to Silver Singles, you can go to Farmers Only. There, there's no end to the number of places you can go to find love. The truth is, people will never complete us or bring the fulfillment that we long for. That longing that we feel is from God, for God. It's from God. For God. He wants us to be drawn back to him. And Jacob's journey eventually will bring him to the place where he will find God. And once we do, God helps us find the other pieces that complement and bring wholeness to our lives. But completeness is only found in God himself. Jacob the deceiver is only deceiving himself. Laban <laughs> recognizes Jacob's obsession. And the deceiver is about to be deceived. Verse 19, 
Chapter 29 of Genesis, Laban says, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. <laughs> Going backwards a little bit. Jacob wants Rachel's hand in marriage. Laban sees this as an opportunity and sarcastically says, it's better that I give her to you than some other man. Notice that he doesn't say yes. He just says, it's better that I give her to you than to someone else. Never really saying yes. Jacob hears yes. Laban never said yes. Fast forward seven years. It's the night of the big day. It's time for the wedding. And what we find out is here, Jacob finds himself in the middle of now Laban's plan. Laban's about to take advantage of Jacob's obsession. Remember we made fun of Esau a couple weeks ago and, and how silly he was to make a deal for his red, red stuff. When he come, come home from the fields, he was starving, he says. He cries to Jacob, give me a bowl of that red, red stuff. And we look at the deal that he made and we look, well, how silly was that? Esau was obsessed with his hunger. And now we find Jacob himself with his own red, red stuff. He's obsessed for Rachel. There's going to be a wedding, but there's a problem. There's an older sister. Remember the law of primogeniture? How the younger will serve the older? Part of that law of primogeniture also states that if you are the oldest sister, you're the first one to be married. Here Jacob has completely flipped upside down this law of primogeniture, but now this very law is about to cause him a little bit of frustration. This tradition, this practice, this, this older sister, Jacob just completely overlooked. Now, in this culture, the wedding is kind of a long, drawn-out ordeal. It begins with a procession from the bride's house, Time of exchanging vows. There's a feast and a party and a celebration. And during the entire process, the bride would be veiled. We still see that today. But in Jacob's context, <laughs> the bride would be covered in goat skin. Might fit his story a little bit better. Made to appear as someone else. The one who had hidden, dressed up as his brother to receive his brother's blessing, is now about to be, <laughs> if you will, deceived by a sister pretending to be her sister. Isn't scripture amazing? Isn't it, isn't it really interesting how God writes this story and, and, and unveils this to us so that we could put the pieces together? Jacob the younger pretended to be the older, and now we're going to see the older sister pretend to be the younger. And the con man's about to be conned. He's blind by obsession with love and, let's be honest, with lust. And, well, probably a little bit or a lot of wine. This was the part of Laban's seven-year plan. But it was cultural. It was expected. We see Genesis trying to tell us that Jacob, well, he's, he's kind of wasted. He's drunk. He wakes the next morning, and he realizes, this is not what I signed up for. Verse 25, when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob says to Laban, and, and, and don't miss Leah in, in this story. We'll talk about Leah more next week. Jacob races out of wherever they're at. He runs to Laban. What is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban, why have you deceived me? 
Laban replies, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. What did Jacob hear when Laban said that? Can you just imagine immediately the, this rushing reminder of the encounter that Jacob himself had with his father? Pretending to be the older son to receive the blessing that he knew the law of primogeniture said should go to Esau? What Jacob hears from Laban is around here, it's not the custom to put the younger before the older. And I think at that moment, Jacob might have had a revelation about the sum of his life up to this point. I'm sure it took him back to his mother's prophecy from God, the older will serve the younger. Everything that he'd worked so hard for during his entire life, making sure that he, the younger, came out ahead. Now it's been thrown back in his face. See, when you don't follow the rules or the guidelines or, or, or the boundaries that culture puts in place, sometimes you end up on the wrong side of things. And I have to believe in this moment, as Jacob cries out to Laban, why have you deceived me? That Jacob hears God ask him, why have you deceived me? And there it is. See, last week, God showed up at Bethel and introduced himself to Jacob. And in this moment, Jacob is introduced to himself. The deceiver's looking in the mirror and finally starts to see what's really there or what's not really there. And perhaps this is the beginning of realizing who he is and knowing that who he is does not and cannot mix with God yet. See, each of us face moments in our lives where we're confronted with who we are. Who we are apart from God, apart from Christ. Confronted with our sin, with our deception, with our lies, with our masquerade, with our pretending, with all the bags that we're carrying. And we come face to face in those moments with ourselves and we, we now have a new choice. We, we recognize that there's attitudes, that, that there's consequences, there's things that separate us from God. They're critical moments in our journeys. Because whether we realize it or not, we're all searching for grace, for a place to belong, a place to be accepted for who we are. And these moments in our lives, they help us see the need. And hopefully in those moments, we'll realize what it is we're trying to meet that need with and where it leads to more lacking in our lives. This confrontation of lack and baggage and God brings to this place of decision. When David was confronted with his sin, he had a decision to make, and he repented. When Peter was confronted with his sin, he, he grieved and he was reconciled by Jesus himself. When Judas was, was confronted with what he'd done, he hung himself. See, when, when faced with what separates us from God, we have a choice to make. The rich young ruler read about in Matthew, when he was asked to sell all that he had, made a decision and walked away. The cost was too great. Grace is offered to us all at some point, in some way. And we have the choice whether we receive it or whether we keep trying to fill that hole with something else. It's a choice that we have that's reflected in our response to the question, why have you deceived me? 
See, the truth is we're really never deceiving God. Just ourselves. So we're going to honestly address perhaps some baggage that you're carrying or some things in your life that might be missing this morning. And I thought the great way for us to respond just together as a faith family would be in sharing in communion together this morning. But here's a thing that I've thought about as we were preparing for this service. To receive the bread in one hand and the cup in the other requires us to let go of our bags. You can't receive God's grace while still holding on to your stuff. So in just a few moments, I'm going to invite you to, we're going to pray together, I invite you to stand, and Amy's going to come and sing a pretty powerful song. It's called If We're Honest. It talks about the stuff we carry, the stuff that gets in the way. And as she's singing that song, I invite you to come. You're going to exit your pews to your right. Come receive the elements in front of the section you're sitting in. Remove, return to your seats on the, your left-hand side. So we'll kind of do that starting in the back. We'll kind of work our way around. It may take a little longer than normal, but that's okay. It gives us time to reflect and to think, to give God a chance to speak. Receive the bread. The bread today is a little bit different. It, it's, it's flat bread. It's, uh, and you're going to tear a piece off. The loaves were passed in the Last Supper. The disciples passed the loaf and tore a piece off. You're going to tear a piece off today as an act of letting go. You're going to receive the cup. Your, boat, your hands will be filled with the elements of communion. No room to carry your stuff. Now, you could leave it in your seat and go right back to it. I get that. It's all figurative, not literal. You understand what I'm talking about. This is an opportunity to let go of what it is we drag behind and grab hold of what it is that God offers to us, a relationship with him. Why do we keep trying to deceive ourselves? God's waiting. Would you stand with me? Let me pray for us today as we prepare our hearts to receive all that God wants to do in us, through us, to us this morning. Father, thank you. The story of Jacob, it's, it's pretty deep and profound. In so many ways, Lord, we laugh or we think how amazing that is or how unbelievable that might be. But Lord, if we're really honest, we might put ourselves there. And I pray this morning, Lord, you'll speak to us as we come to receive the expressions of your grace. We would leave the things that we drag behind us in our seats at the altar with you. We'll let go. But we, Father, as we come searching for that thing in our lives that might be missing, help us to realize that that thing is you, not found in others, it's not apart from you. Lord, today, those that have been journeying for a long time might come to a new destination, might begin a new walk with you. Perhaps they'll start over a walk that they had once begun but had stopped. They'll let go of those things this world offers, recognizing them, and in them, Lord, will never find fulfillment. only made complete in you. As we receive these elements, while we do it individually, we also do it corporately. And we're reminded that we have people around us that often help 
through you fill in those gaps in our lives. People that we can trust and share with, cry with. Thank you, Lord, for Jacob's story, what it teaches us even yet today. And Lord, as we receive these elements this morning, again, Father, clearly, personally, intentionally reveal to us those things that we need to let go so that we could experience more of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Beginning in the back, if you please exit your rows to your right. Come down front and receive your elements at this time. Truth is harder than a lie. Dark seems safer than a lie. Everyone has a heart that loves to hide. I'm a mess and so are you. We've built walls nobody can get through. Yeah, it may be hard, but the best thing we could ever do, ever do, is bring your brokenness and I'll bring mine. Cause love can heal what hurt divides, and mercy's waiting on the other side. If we're honest, if we're honest, don't pretend to be something that you're not. Living life afraid of getting caught. There is freedom found when we lay our secrets down at the cross, at the cross. So bring your brokenness and I'll bring mine Cause love can heal what hurt divides And mercy's waiting on the other side If we're honest If we're honest It would change our lives, it would set us free, it's what we need to be, so bring your brokenness and I'll bring mine Cause love can heal what hurt divides And mercy's waiting on the other side If we're honest If we're honest
reading chapter 22 verse 14 when the hour came Jesus' apostles reclined at the table and he said to them I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer for I tell you I'll not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God in verse 19 he took bread gave thanks and he broke it gave to them saying this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me let us eat be reminded that this is God's invitation to be part of his work to be his hands and feet those who don't yet know.
just as the bread invites us to the work of Christ, it's the blood that reminds us of the grace this blood affords us. In verse 20, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. As we drink of his cup today, let's be reminded that God extended the same covenant to Abraham and Isaac, to Jacob. Through Christ, he extends to us the new covenant through the blood of Jesus. Let's take and remember the grace that he offers to us. Father, thank you. We had some fun this morning. We laughed. But God, there's some truth that we heard as well. May we not miss it. There's much for which we could give you thanks. So many reasons in our life, Lord, to give you praise. But God, as I look around this place, this house of worship, I also see people that are weary, that are heavy laden, they're carrying a lot of stuff. They're trying to fill the holes in their life with things of this world, with people of this world, Lord, and we know how that's going to end. So, Father, I pray, as we partake in the bread and the cup, Lord, as, there, as an act of remembering who you are and what it is you've done for us, may we do so while letting go the stuff that weighs us down, the baggage we drag behind, of the pursuit of trying to fill those gaps in our lives with anything other than you. Thank you, God, for your love that's indescribable, for mercy that's undeserved, and for grace that could never be earned. Now, Lord, go with us. Help us to be your hands and feet, to be grace sharers, grace givers, as we've so readily received today. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. God bless you. Leave your bags behind. Have a great week. Hug someone you love. Have a great day.